Hello, everybody. This is Chris Barrows, the assistant pastor at Gospel Baptist Church in Bonita Springs, Florida. This right here is the adult Sunday school lesson, and it's not something that we have done up to this point during our coronavirus situation here at Gospel, but it's something that has been uh, requested from uh, by pastor, by many different people have uh, sent him texts and emails saying that they would like to see uh, the adult Sunday school class. What they didn't know was that they were going to get me. They were probably expecting him to do it, but uh, he has so graciously allowed me to do it, and I'm looking forward to it. And this is going to be a teaching time. This is not going to be preaching. We are going to expository look at a at three different verses in Matthew chapter 18. And so I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to when church gets uh, to be started back and assembling ourselves together. Uh, I'm also looking forward to getting a haircut as well. And so anyways, let's go ahead and get started with the lesson today. And the title of it is, is what to do when someone does you wrong? What do you do when someone does you wrong? Well, let's see what Jesus had to say about this issue. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 28, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. These verses have to do with when someone does you wrong. How do you deal with it? This also has to do with church discipline. We're going to get into both those areas. Let's start in the first part of verse number 15. Uh, when Jesus says, more of thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now, this passage is for believers. This is for brothers and sisters in Christ who know the Lord as their Savior and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is not really for the secular world. This is not for the business world. This is not for your jobs. This is not for uh, your friends that live down the street. It's not for your neighbor next door to you. This is this is applied to the church of the living God and how we as Christians deal with problems between it. Now, the way we deal with problems is way different than what the world does. And too often, we get influenced by the world and those fleshly desires come up and we go against what God has specifically put in place for us and we don't want to do that. So the idea for this morning is to biblically know how to deal with somebody when they have offended us. Now it says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. And now a trespass, it's simply a fault. It is an offense. It's when someone has downright done you wrong. And it can be in a wide variety of different ways. It can be something as them telling you a white lie. Any lie is bad, but it may be just a white lie, something very small, to you, maybe very insignificant. I don't know. It could be as something uh, big as they have done you wrong in a business deal. Maybe they have stolen money from you. Maybe they've stolen uh, some property from you. Maybe they have been malicious uh, to you and you found out about it. Maybe they've gossiped about you. I, I don't really know. The list could go on and on about ways that people could have offended you. Uh, nonetheless, it does happen, and that's what a trespass is. But we want to look at this. We do not 
we don't, under any circumstance, we don't want to do this. If you don't get anything else from the lesson this morning, get this right here. It is so valuable. Don't take up an offense for somebody else. It's so easy to do. We see one person be mean to another person. Someone treats someone in a way that they shouldn't, and we want to step in the middle of it. Pause for a moment. Don't do that. Take a time out. Hey, this thing about if a brother shall trespass against thee, this has to do if it's directly involving you. And you don't want to get in the middle of someone else's business. My mom and dad, they always taught me to stay out of other people's business. Keep to your own business. And that's exactly what we should do as children of God. You don't know the whole story that may be going on with that person you're trying to take up an offense for. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if there's an issue at all. A funny little story about something that happened a few years ago when uh, Heather and I were expecting our first child. And as the, the due date came approaching, it seemed it seemed uh, for a few people that Heather was having a little difficulty getting up into my Jeep. And at that time, my Jeep was the only vehicle we had, and it is raised up a little bit more than stock. And I don't have a step to get up in it. We just kind of uh, jump up into it. And there was uh, one person who took up an offense for Heather. And they actually came to me and told me how bad of a husband I was. I probably was a bad husband. Uh, but they told me how bad of a husband I was and how they couldn't believe that I treated my wife that way and that she had to jump up being pregnant and get into my Jeep. And they just ripped me up and down. But the truth of the matter was, was Heather was not offended about the situation. She had no issue getting up into my Jeep. There was no problem. And so when that person stepped over over the line, it could have created a problem. And it could have actually got Heather to take up an offense against me. And it could have uh, gotten Heather to be bitter against me. Or that person could have done, could have uh, spoke that around the church to many different people. And it was just a bad situation. And so much there's there's much worse things that can happen besides that but that's just one that I can remember that's happened to me uh, recently and so you don't want to take up an offense for another person no matter what you just don't want to do it so let's look at the first step when someone does you wrong what do you do what do you do when they do you wrong well verse 15 says moreover if thy brother shall trespass against thee go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone if he shall hear thee thou hast gained Thy brother, the first step that we want to do is confront the person who has offended us. It's something that is very hard to do. We see here in the verse it says, go and tell him his fault. It's a very difficult thing to do to have to go and confront somebody. Most people do not like confrontation at all. I'm one of them. If I can avoid confronting somebody, I'm going to do it. The only way I'm going to do it is if it's absolutely 100% necessary. And in a situation when someone has offended you or trespassed against you, it's your obligation to go to that person and to tell them what is on your mind and how that they have offended you. Now, some people, they think that, well, if somebody else, if they offended me, then they should come to me and get it right. I shouldn't have to go to them. And yes, I do believe 100% that that person who offended you should come and make things right. I believe that. But that doesn't negate the fact that we have a command here in Scripture that when someone has trespassed against us, 
that we go to that person and we tell them their fault. Just because they haven't done what's right on their end, they already didn't do what's right when they trespassed against us, but that doesn't give us the right not to do what we are supposed to do. So we're supposed to go and tell them his fault. Why should we do that? Well, not only because it's a command, but we should also do that because maybe the person doesn't even know that they offended us. Maybe you think they cheated you out of money. And if you were to go to that person and tell them, look, and you show them the facts and the figures and say, you owed me this amount of money, but you didn't pay me all of it. They may not even know that they shortchanged you. Who knows? Uh, there's many scenarios that we could go off of, but maybe the person simply doesn't even know that they offended you. It's a possibility. Also, we see here, Keep it confidential. Keep it between you and that person. It says between thee and him alone. Don't go spreading what happened around to everybody else in the church and everywhere else around the neighborhood and putting it up on social media. When I was in college, I had a friend who lived in my dorm, and there was, there was a little situation that happened between us, and it really wasn't that big a deal. At least I didn't think so. So I went about my day and I checked my Facebook posts a few hours later and I noticed that this, this guy that was in my dorm put up a big paragraph uh, describing everything that happened in the situation. He didn't name names. He didn't say who it was. He didn't say it was somebody in the dorm. But it was pointing to me in the exact situation that happened. And so he spread that out all over Facebook. Nobody knew it was me, of course, as I already said. But after that was over... And I saw it. I went to that, that guy and I said, hey, what's going on here? Why are you putting this up here? And we were able to square things away and it was good, but he should have done that first. Our natural, our human flesh, we want to go talk to everybody else than the person who we actually offended. I'm not sure exactly why that is. We want to go and put it on social media. We want to go and we want to go call our mom, our dad. We want to go call our best friend and, and go cry on their shoulder about how so-and-so uh, offended you. And it just goes on and on and on. And we never get to the source of the problem because we don't go to the person who it actually pertains to. So the thing is to keep it confidential. Even if you go to that person, hey, don't let anybody else even know about it. Don't even breathe a word about it. We're to keep it between us. Why? It can cause division. God hates division. He hates discord among the brethren. It's a horrible, terrible thing. And by speaking this situation to somebody else, you may just be, in fact, creating bitterness in somebody else's heart. And they may be, may be getting worked up about it, and they have no need to whatsoever. Keep it to yourself. Confront the person. Go to him. Explain what he did and keep it between you and him alone and see how he responds. Most of the time, most of the time, the offense really gets resolved after this step. I've had people come and they've confronted me about an issue uh, where I've offended people. And I, you, I mean, I apologize and I say, wow, I'm so sorry that I offended you. Either uh, I didn't know that I did or you're right. I really shouldn't have treated you that way and I was in the flesh and uh, it was wrong of me. And most of the time, the offense gets resolved right here. And now it's not spread out over the internet. It's not spread out to all of our friends and they're not telling everybody else about it. it hasn't turned into some uh, big gossip that gets spread all around the church. It has been dealt with and it's just been between you and 
hey, you have gained your brother, meaning that relationship has been restored and there's no need to bring it up anymore. If there was restitution that, ne that needed to be made, hey, restitution has been made. But what happens if the person refuses to repent? So you go to that person, you pour out your heart to them, and you tell them, look, you have done me wrong. You haven't treated me the way you should, or you've talked behind my back, or you lied to me. You told me you were going to do something, and you didn't do it, or you owed me this money, and you never paid me. And they say, well, I'm not going to get right about it. Hey, sorry, not going to happen. What do you do? Well, that's when we get to the second step. Verse number 16, Jesus says, but if he will not hear thee, meaning not that he won't hear you or won't li listen to you, it's the idea that he's not going to admit that he was wrong. He's not going to make things right. Then this is what you want to do. You want to take with you one or two more than in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So this time you're going to confront the person again. Not only did you have to do it the first time, but you're going to do it the second time here. And when you confront this person, it's going to be a little different because you're going to have two or three people with you. They're going to go with you, and there's a number of reasons why we're going to look at that. Take with thee one or two more. But what is the purpose? Why do you take other people with you? Well, number one, you're still not going and spreading this around to the community and to the church. You're keeping it between you and the person and these other two people, one or two people that you're taking with you that are witnesses. You're keeping it to them and you're not spreading it around, but here's why you take them with you. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. I recommend, this is not biblical by any means, but it's really just common sense. I recommend taking spiritually mature people with you when you go confront the person the second time. I wouldn't take the person who you were trying to disciple. That's not really a good time, I would say, for them to tag along this is really a time for somebody who's more spiritually mature, maybe even someone that the church body as a whole kind of looks up to. And so here's some reasons why they will be able to hear both sides of the issue, not just your side, because I'm sure that you've told them, told the one or two people you've taken with them already what has happened, but now they get to even hear what the offender has to say about it. And there may be some discrepancy in the issue. Maybe the person that you think did you wrong really actually didn't do anything wrong, but you haven't seen it and you haven't been able to get any wise counsel about it. This is a great opportunity for these two witnesses who they are able to see both sides of the issue and to maybe even tell you that, hey, you're overreacting a little bit. You shouldn't be offended about this. This person obviously didn't mean anything by it. And let's move on down the road. Can we just chalk this up to, hey, Let's just agree to disagree and sorry about the misunderstanding. We can move on down the road and serve God together. It's smart to bring people who are spiritually mature, who can hear both sides of this issue. But also, they are able to, they may be able, I should say, to convince the person of their error. They may be able to talk to this person and really convince them that what they did was wrong and they need to get things right. And sometimes it takes just a couple other people to show somebody the error of their ways. One-on-one, -on -one, it may not work. But maybe having a couple other people there who are spiritually mature, maybe who they even look up to, will be able to help the situation out a little bit. Then we see they're also there. 
that they're going to be able to testify the truth. When this whole thing shakes out and if the person refuses to repent and they say, no, I'm not getting things right, hey, these two people, two or three people, they are going to be able to uh, bring this matter before the church and be going to be able to state the truth about what actually happened. So here's some Bible examples of multiple witnesses and why uh, we have two or three witnesses before we bring an accusation. It's not something new that Jesus uh, just made up there on the spot. No, it's something that has been recorded in Scripture. Uh, one reference is Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. You hear on the news all the time about how uh, usually it happens with a politician who's running for office and, and they're gaining popularity and maybe doing well, uh, doing well and possibly going to win. And you'll, you'll hear about some uh, lady who rises up against him and makes some accusation and says that you know, he committed some sort of crime against her 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's just her word against his word. That ought not to be so. That, that woman ought to be laughed out, of, laughed out of the place. I mean, it just shouldn't happen because we can't go off one person's word against another person unless there's hard evidence. If there was a camera maybe in the room that was recording what had happened or a few other people had seen it, that would be two or three witnesses. And we could establish some facts about what actually happened and people could testify about it or the camera could testify about it or an audio recording, you name it. But we ought not to just accuse people about something because there's no proof about it. Also, we see in 2 Corinthians 13.1, this is the third time that I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Every word should be established in... Uh, mouth of two or three witnesses. First Timothy 5.19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Why would you not receive an accusation, but before two or three? Well, because there's a lot of false accusations that happen out there. Now, when there's two or three people, it starts to gain credibility. It gains credibility. But many times when somebody makes an accusation against maybe a pastor or a leader in the church, it can cause the rest of the congregation to view that pastor in a negative way, even if the situation never happens. So that's why we're not even supposed to receive an accusation, not even going to count it worthy unless we have some evidence or two or three witnesses that are behind it. So we've seen the two or three witnesses, and we've seen that we're supposed to go to the person by ourselves and then the second time with other people. But what happens if after both of those times, the person refuses to repent? and they will not get right about the issue. Well, that brings us to the third step, and that's in verse 17. The first part says, and if he shall neglect to hear them, once again, hear them doesn't mean just listen to what they have to say. It means that you they acknowledge what happened, and they admit that they were at fault. And it says if they don't admit they were at fault, hey, tell it unto the church. Now the matter gets a little bit more serious. It started out one-on-one. -on -one. Then a couple more people people got brought into the mix. Now it's starting to open up where more and more people are going to know about it and this sin and this offense is going to be made known uh, to a much larger, much larger crowd. And it gets brought before the church. Now I'd recommend going to your church leaders. I'd recommend going to your pastor or uh, your deacons or 
church leaders and and explaining the situation to them first with the couple witnesses that are there. Um, I wouldn't recommend standing up in the middle of the church and bringing it up, but that's just me. And I would I would bring it to the people who are in charge and see what they can say about it. And your pastor usually has quite a bit of wisdom and is in touch with God and may be able to bring a little insight into the situation that you hadn't seen before and can properly assess what is going on. But you bring it to the church and they're going to figure out what's going on. The church then, it's out of your hands now, and the church is going to go and confront this person. They'll probably bring him into a room with maybe uh, uh, the leaders of the church and try to figure out what's going on, explain the situation. Hopefully they take the word of God and open it up and say, hey, this is where you went wrong. There's an issue here. It has to be addressed. It can't keep going on. We have to figure out how to resolve this issue. And hopefully they're going to do that. But what if the person still refuses to repent? What if even after the first step where you go to them, the second step, you bring more people in on it, two or three, then you bring it to the church and now it's starting to get serious and they still say, I'm not going to repent about it. I'm not going to make things right. Wow. Well, it says in the end of verse 17, but if you neglect to hear the church, he doesn't admit the error of his ways. Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. What exactly are those two things? What's a heathen man? Well, it's an outsider, someone who's without God, a Gentile. Jesus was speaking to a group of Jews at this time, and a heathen person was considered a Gentile, not just because they were Gentiles, but because predominantly they were without God, and they didn't know the true and living God, and they most often worshipped uh, pagan uh, uh, they were pagan and worshipped idols, and they didn't have God, and they weren't treated with the same respect that a Jew would treat a Jew. Also, it says that they're going to be treated as a publican. Now, that was a tax collector. They normally worked for the Roman government and were responsible to go to the Jewish people and to collect taxes. But the problem is they were very greedy, they were very deceptive, and they were viewed as wicked people because they were not usually honest. They would go and they would be expected to collect so much amount of money for taxes, but many times they would go and say the amount was greater than what they were supposed to be collecting. And they were very, very wicked people. Most, most of them were. And so this is how these people are going to be treated as an outsider, somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God, somebody who is deceptive and greedy and wicked. Wow, those are pretty serious and heavy things. The purpose of church discipline is always restoration. It's not something that's very pretty. It's not something that anybody rejoices in whatsoever. But it's something that is necessary because it's trying to bring that person to a place of repentance where they admit the error of their ways and they make things right. They repent of it. And it's always for the purpose of restoration. Here's what... Here's what the unrepentant believer is treated like and what happens. He's going to be treated like an outsider. He's going to be treated just like any other person that's walking down the road. Sure, we love them and we care for them and we want the best for them. Ultimately, we want them to get right about the issue, but they're not going to be like our closest friends anymore. Also, they're going to be unable to participate in church gatherings and the Lord's table. Now, 
participate in gatherings, we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So if that person is a child of God and now they have been put on church discipline, so they're not allowed to attend church, not only have they offended they offended somebody and that they need to make right, but now they're going against the Bible in another area where they are forsaking the assembling of themselves together. And now they're not going to be able to participate at the Lord's table. You say, well, they can just hop up and go and go to another church somewhere and get involved there and like nothing ever happened. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Um, hopefully that church that this person goes to asks them why they're down here. Hopefully they call our church or they get in touch uh, with our church and maybe with our pastor uh, and ask what the history is. And so when they find out that this person has been under church discipline, the church that that this person has went to now will now say, look, we're not going to accept you into our flock of people because you still have to make things right at your other church. And so that's the way that it's supposed to work. And it's a very serious thing. So now they're not able to go into fellowship with other believers. They're not able to um, come to any church gatherings. They're not able uh, to partake of the Lord's table. It's pretty serious. Also, they will not be able to have close fellowship or eat with church members. You say, well, they just can't come to church anymore. It's actually a little more serious than that. It's not that they can't just come to church anymore and participate in our worship services or be a part of our ministry. It goes much further than that, even, even as far that we're not supposed to have any close fellowship with that person. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to say hi to them when uh, we walk past them in the grocery store. No, it means that we're just not supposed to have close. The relationship has been severed until that person determines that they are going to make things right. And, of course, uh, we know that we're not even supposed to eat with them. The Bible's very clear about that because that also has to do with fellowship. And so... Um, the person as well, the unrepentant believer, he is always welcome to repent of his sin. The idea is not that we want to cast people out and we want to leave them out there. No, we want them to come back and admit their faults, admit their wrongs, and we're going to be here with open arms welcoming them to come back. And that's exactly what Jesus and Jesus does with us when we go our own way. Hey, we're cut off from the good blessings and the things that God has to offer for us until we choose to repent. It's like the story of um, the prodigal son when the son went off on his own way and came back and he repented and the father accepted him. And that's what this whole thing is about. And so I hope when somebody offends you that you do what the Bible says, that you Take the word of God and you say, I'm going to go to step number one. I'm just going to go and confront that person, even though I really don't want to, and it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to go confront that person and try to uh, address the issue. Hey, that's going to be great. Keep it between you and that other person. Don't go spreading it all around everybody else. Keep it confidential. And if that doesn't work, hey, take a couple other spiritual people with you. Go to that person and see if uh, they can talk some sense or uh, evaluate the situation and see uh, what the best uh, form of action is. And if that person still doesn't get right, well, then bring it to the church. Bring it to the church leaders and allow them to assess the situation and uh, see what needs to be done and try to get the person to repent and use God's word uh, to try to show them that they need to get some things right. And God forbid they have to uh, have some church discipline where they're cast out from uh, our group of believers and uh, until they get things right. But that's the way the Bible 
says to deal with situations uh, when someone does you wrong. I hope this has been a blessing and a help to you. God bless. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.